You're listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us at 1pc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee. The reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 43 through 54. After the two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feast. Therefore he came again to Cana at Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. As he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Then they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed, and his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. The word of God for the people of God. Did I understand that John Baker's definition was when something impossible happens like him getting an Oreo? So deacons will be having an Oreo drive for John Baker (laughs) next month. Um... We'll, we'll let them come up with the, the catchy slogan for it. If you were, uh, um, if we was to ask you to define what does it mean to believe in Jesus, what would you answer? Um, anyway, it, it's interesting that uh, we might even have to start with the most basic level at this point because you know it used to be everyone just kind of assumed that. There was a person named Jesus, but I'm finding um, along with those who deny that the earth is round and who believe that the, the moon um, landing was um, a fake um, are those who also believe that a person named Jesus never lived. Um, that, that he was a, a, a fictional character. So for some of you, the idea of that Jesus, uh, believing in Jesus, might be as simple as there was a historical figure who taught roughly the things that we have in Scripture and that people um, seem to have trusted about some things. And I think most of us know that the idea of believing in Jesus or trusting Jesus, or having faith in Jesus, is something beyond that. So maybe for some of you, it's summed up in the creed that we believe in a person named Jesus, but also that he was who he claimed to be, that somehow he is God in the flesh, 
speaking God's truth to us, who's able to do amazing miracles, and who rose from the dead. So maybe for you, you know, that belief is kind of this intellectual receiving of these truths which we confess, that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He rose again on the third day. And, and, and that's certainly a part of it. But for John's gospel, one of the major themes in it is believing in Jesus goes beyond just believing things about Jesus. More than just believing and obeying his word, more than just believing that he's able to do miracles and amazing things. And we'll, we'll, we'll look at what this is, but a good question of when you say you believe in Jesus, what do you mean? Because um, we, we have some uh, different uses of the word believe here. We'll follow along as we go with this story. This, this story in John 4 catches up after he has been in Samaria. So he's been in Samaria. He's met the woman at the well. We've covered um, that dialogue. And it says, after two days, he departed for Galilee. So he's leaving Samaria. He's going back to Galilee. And it says, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no water in his own hometown. Uh, that word hometown it could also mean, um, you know, homeland. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of the word we get our patriotism from. It's, it doesn't necessarily mean um, Nazareth. This could mean um, just being among his people. And, and there's this sense in which, uh, unlike some of the other Gospels where Jesus leaves because they don't believe, they don't receive a, a prophet in his hometown, this seems to be he's going to Galilee away from uh, Samaritans, going back to his home people, his own people, his hometown, his home country, um, because they don't believe, they don't receive the prophet. This is telling what's coming up. And so he goes there, and they all welcome him. The, the Galileans welcome him, having seen what he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had been there too. They had been um, at the feast when Jesus uh, cast people out of the temple. You remember we talked about that, how he um, cast the money changers out and said, you know, this is my father's house. Um, and then he also had said, tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. Speaking of his body, pointing to the resurrection and they had seen it. So there seems to be this, uh, this cheering of what he had done there and they're, they're receiving him and they're happy about him coming. And as he's there in Cana of Galilee and Mark tells us this because he wants to remember, remind us of the first sign of where he had made the water into wine. He, these are all holding together. They're all pointing to uh, the same reality. There was a man um, from Capernaum, which is 17, 20 miles away from Cana, who's, who's made the trek there. Um, he was an official whose son was And uh, glad the, the translation Walt read actually points out that he was a royal official. Um, the word there is, is pointing out his status as a royal member, not not of the royal family, but a servant in, in the court of probably most likely King Herod, um, that he was part of this royal household whose son is sick. And so he has enough belief in Jesus to come and ask Jesus to come to his house and heal his son. And in part, it's desperation. 
In part, it's, I've, you know, we've heard about some of the things this guy can do. Let's, it, I mean, what are you going to do? He might as well try it. And so he goes, and it's interesting, he's telling Jesus what he needs, but he's also telling Jesus how Jesus needs to solve this. Jesus, I want my son to be healed, so you come to my house and do what I'm asking you to do so that you will heal him. And Jesus says, um, again, something unexpected for us, because Jesus steers his conversations to let us know the truth he's wanting us to deal with. And very interestingly, he says to the man, he says to him, but then what he says, he's actually speaking to everyone. The you there, in a good southern translation, would be y'all. So he says, unless y'all see the signs and wonders, y'all won't believe. In other words, I'm talking to this guy, but I'm, I'm also speaking about everyone here. You just don't believe unless you see signs and wonders. And so there's a sense of Jesus wants us to go beyond seeing the miracle to seeing what the miracle points to. That's why John calls it a sign. It points to something else. Unless you see signs and wonders, you don't believe. The official says, well, come on down. <laughs> you know, it, almost ignoring it, just saying, still, come. He's persistent with his prayer. Come, Jesus, see my child before he dies. And Jesus now says, you go, your son will live. Jesus takes his request and kind of says, I'm going to fulfill your request, but I'm going to fulfill it in a way you're not asking for. You're not going to tell me how to do this, but I'm going to, I'm going to answer your prayer. Go, he lives. The, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke and went his way. So the man believes. He trusts Jesus. He's going to leave, so he goes, and he goes on his way. Um, he goes, he's kind of given up on telling Jesus how to do it, trusting in Jesus, and he goes, and along the way, he's met by his servants. Um, the servant says, your son lives. He asked when, and it was the very time that he had spoken to Jesus. And then very interestingly, John tells us, um, in verse 53, and he himself believed and all his household. But hadn't he just already believed? Didn't, didn't he believe enough to even come to Jesus in the first place? Didn't he believe when he um, heard Jesus' word and believed his word and was obedient to his word and followed him? What, what is John saying when he says he believed? This is the second sign that Jesus did. And I think what he believes is what the sign is pointing to. He's not just believing in Jesus' power to do this sign. He's not just looking at the sign itself, but he's seeing what the sign points to. And John wants us to see what the sign points to. John doesn't want us to just believe in Jesus' power or just intellectual facts about Jesus. John wants us to believe the signs that he, what the signs point to of who Jesus is. We can be like this. 
uh, in our relationship with Jesus, I think one thing John shows us is our faith grows. It, it moves. It becomes, it starts as one thing and it develops into another. And Jesus is very patient to help us lead from just believing in power to, to trusting in something else. And, and I'm, I'm not, don't take this as like the three steps of faith that one Christian must follow. Take this as just kind of a picture of a spectrum that faith can be and look at yourself and see where am I? When I say I believe in Jesus, what do I mean? Because on the first end, he, he wants to tell Jesus how to solve his problem. Then he trusts in Jesus, and then he trusts what the sign points to. And we can do that also. We, we can come to Jesus in prayer, and we can say, um, I want you to heal me, and I want you to heal me this way. You know, for usually me, it's like, by Sunday morning, let my voice be better. Or, you know, let me be cured by the time of this vacation. Or, you know, um, let this be the healing that this person receives. Or maybe it's, um, Jesus, I need security. I need income. Therefore, let me have this job that I'm asking for right here. Or, Jesus, I'm, I, I'm lonely. I need a relationship. M make that person fall in love with me. I mean, we can have that kind of sense, but then we can also grow and kind of learn to bring our needs to God and say, uh, God, so-and-so um, needs healing. Uh, do what's best for them. Heal them. Uh, Lord, so-and-so needs security and resources, and here's a good opportunity, but we trust that whatever you do is going to be best for them, and we bring these needs to you, and we, we, we pray for this. Or, or, or Lord, um, you know, bring me a relationship that's going to be one that's supportive and Christian and, and all the things I'm looking for. And we can come with these needs, and we, we recognize to trust God to provide best for us in these things. But have you ever known somebody that it's very obvious they just kind of want to use you to get something else? Have you known somebody, they're, they're your friend because you're the friend of somebody else and they're hoping for an introduction or, you know, you just, you have something they think they can get from you. And I mean, it becomes very obvious, very quick of that somebody is using you. Do you like the way that feels? I mean, I, no, of course not. I mean, nobody... Nobody likes to feel like they're being used. But why do you not like it? I mean, why do you not like for somebody to, to want to befriend you because you, you know, they might get you tickets to an event or introduce you or something? Isn't it because you feel really small if they're looking at you as less than the thing that you can give them? That, that what they really want is this other thing, and that other thing has more value than you? Well, I mean, I hope you can see where I'm going with this, because if we're just coming to God with our needs, and if we receive them, and even if we're as grateful and thankful for what God gives us, and we, we thank God and we're so happy with what we receive, don't you see that if we're, if we're wanting what God gives us rather than God himself, we're missing something? That if we're, we're just looking at God as somebody to provide for the things that I feel I need at this moment, that, that we're belittling God because we'd rather have what God gives than God himself? I mean, don't you realize that everything you can give somebody is less than who you are? And likewise, anything God gives us is less than who God is. And so I think that part of what the sign is pointing to is that not just be amazed with the signs and the wonders that Jesus gives us, 
But look what those signs are pointing to, and the signs are pointing to Jesus himself. So it's not just that we thank God for the healing, or we thank God for the water into wine, or we thank God for the truths that he teaches, or we thank God for the blessings that we receive, but that we know Jesus himself, and we know the truths that this sign is pointing to. So what is the sign? What is the sign pointing to? I, I, I find it amazing this story immediately follows the words of the Samaritans. In verse 42, he had been talking to the Samaritans. He spent some time with them. They came, and though they were not his hometown, his home country, his, his own people, they said, we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. They recognize that He is the Savior of the world. He's the Messiah. He is the one. He's God's Son. And if you get that, you're sure not going to come up to Him and tell Him how to do His job. You're not going to come with your needs and say, here's what you need to do to fulfill my request. And you're not going to come to Him and say, okay, I have a plan for you. But if He really is the Savior of the world, if He's who He says He is, your relation will be, let me have you. Let, let me know you. Let me be in relationship with you. That's the whole point of John is so that you know Jesus. That you know who he is and what he came to do. That, I mean, John says he wrote all these so that you will see these signs and that you will trust in Jesus. And, and John says this, uh, Jesus says this is eternal life, that you may know me and the God who sent me. It's, it's about knowing the person who does the things, not just the signs he gives us, and to trust in him, because if he truly is the Savior of the world, what you recognize is his ways are best, so that even if I ask for something and I don't receive that healing, I trust that he is better than what I can figure out or think, and I'm trusting that he was using even that terror and that horror to work out what's good for me. And even if he doesn't fulfill the request for relationship, even if he doesn't fill requests for healing, if he doesn't fulfill the request for the resources you need, that even in that he is doing what is best for you. Because I can't help but see a glimpse of the greatest sign that he shows us here. Jesus is talking to a royal official whose son is at the death's door. And he brings him back, and he heals him, and he restores him. And this, this whisper of what Jesus is doing is going to grow louder through this book. But don't you just hear the, the, the glimpse of one who is standing there looking and saying, you know, my daddy's not just a court official. He's not just a clerk for Herod. My daddy's the king. And I'm his son. Here's the royal's son who's not just about to go to the point of death, but he's going to die. He's not just going to be sick. He is actually going to be crucified and in the grave so that he conquers the power of death. That, that, that is why he now can reach out and say, just with a word over miles away, come back, you're healed. Because he is the one who conquers, and he's the one who can also now with us give you more than just healing, but has made you sons and daughters of the king, 
who has conquered the grave, conquered death, and conquered sin itself, that you too live. His son lives. You will live. That is what the sign is pointing to. That is who you trust. That is what real belief is. Let us pray. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Help us to trust you are able. Help us to trust that you are good. And help us to trust even uh, when we can't see um, fully what the sign is pointing to, but help us to trust in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And you've been listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us and listen to other sermons at onepc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee.